Blessed be the Lord, um, our God, God of universe. Uh, we worship you. We glorify your holy name. You are good and your mercy endures forever. Lord, um, thank you for who you are. Thank you for even the opportunity to, um, to worship you, to be in your presence. Thank you for giving yourself to us. Lord, um, we pray that, uh, that you may speak with us today and that you'll be with us. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts uh, be acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. Our first lesson today opened with the history, genealogy of the world. The opening statement is shifted from the divine action that opened Chapter 1 of Genesis. Um, chapter 1 pointed to the beginning of everything when nothing had been made and God started creating out of nothing. The account of Genesis 2 and 3 that we focus on today shifted. Now, God was creating something. It, it was in the beginning and all these things were happening chronologically. And now it seems like the writer now focused on an event of, of man. He focused on, on, the, on the man and the woman that God created um, to represent him in his temple. I think to really get the big picture of what is going on is really to study all the way to the end of chap um, chapter 3 of, of Genesis story. And I think our first lesson today, that cut off at verse 7 of 3, there's a reason so we can focus, can focus our attention to the fall because that's where it stopped. Many of us are familiar with the stories. And then when you're not familiar with the history of Adam and Eve and the creation story, try to look at it again. Every year, the daily office usually starts with Genesis. Genesis chapter 1, 2, 3, and so on. That's so how it usually started. The Old Testament reading, as I mentioned, with this, the, it, today the, the focus is on the fall with that. The disobedience of our first parents, Adam and Eve, with the thought in mind, well, the scripture open up when the, when the writer writes, says, when no bush of the field was yet in the land and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land and there was no man to work the ground. A mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. There are a few things that we could take from here. We see from those statements that God is now really in need of man, really for the sustainment of the world that he had created. The human is not necessarily needed. Well, the man hasn't been created yet. At the same time, we see a mist was going up, was going up from the land and was watering the old face of the ground. The world can be self-sufficient even without man. 
the tree and the vegetation that God has created, they will succeed. They will, they will, they will be sus, there will be sustenance for them. And the animals, other creatures that we see from the previous chapter, chapter one, that weren't covered today, there will be enough sustenance for them. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground, and he breathed in his, in, in his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became living creature. Now we get a little uh, additional details from what we have in chapter one. Now the more details we have, we could, we could probably come to a few conclusions with them. At least one of them is the special relationship that God has with man. The writer continued to write in this section of the passages, Lord God, Lord Yahweh, God Elohim. And he put them together. And really, in the old book of Genesis, when we track there, we see where the writer continued to use Lord or God doesn't put them together. But in this section, he puts them together, the, then the Lord God, and that continues with this section of passages all the way to the end of chapter three. I think it shows a special relationship that we can assume you know, between God and man. The way God created man is so different from all the creative action that we see in chapter one. In chapter one, God will continue to say, let there be light, and it was so. Let there be this, it was so. And that continues. But when it comes to man, that changed. He created man out of, the, out of the dust and breathed into his nostrils. He created him. God is like is involved in creating this man. He got the dust, put him together, and breathed in him to give him life. Breathing him to give him life actually brings about a memory to me. At Talbot, when I was studying there, there was this retreat, uh, well, there was this course that is required for everyone, spiritual formation courses. And then we had to go on a retreat, spiritual formation 501. I can never forget that retreat. The night that we were there, a friend of mine, well, few, a few of us, we decided that we're gonna hike this mountain. Um, Idlewild, the mountain, and we went to that mountain and we were continuing to go in there. And it was very steep, we continued to go up there and then we were close to where we were going. There was this turn that we have to make. It's like a left that we will take. And uh, there was two guys, uh, three guys, including me, and two ladies. And uh, we're about to take that turn. And when we're about to take that turn, there was this really flat place. Well, it can only fit one person at a time. And we're almost where we need to, to go. We just need to take that turn. And I will line up one by one. I stay at the back, two ladies in front of me, and the two guys in, in the front. We took water with us. And as we were going, our, the first guy had the water bottle that we took, and uh, we were all going. And one of the ladies in front of me seemed to start hyperventilating. Um, 
So I asked the guy in the front, I'll call him Adam because Adam is one of the people in the story today. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, um, so I just keep calling Adam, can you pass the water? So we all stop. And Adam couldn't, we weren't getting any response from Adam. Adam, what's going on? So everybody just stopped. And all of a sudden, Adam was like, we can't hear him. And it's like, he tried to throw the water back. You have to throw it back. I will catch it. But it's like, and the water just go down. So we kind of think that, well, something may be going up. So we got the ladies to get back. And I went with my friend. I went around him. And we basically pinned Adam back to the mountain. It's the mountain. And we will basically fall. And if we fall, there's probably going to be death. And we, we don't know. So we held him up to that. Um, to that mountain, and we just started praying. And, well, some of my experience before um, training with the military or so, I actually had to help him to stop breathing, to help him to stop breathing. Um, his face was like palsy, like it's, and we, we couldn't figure it out, but we prayed and we bring him down. So we brought him down. We came down. Well, since that time, we never talk about it again. He never mentioned it. So <laughs> me and my other friend talk about it sometimes just to process what really happened there. But, you know, but he, he never talked about it again. We really never talk about it. Carol brings this picture of rescue breathing to mind. We literally had to help him to help him breathe. And it's like the man, without the breath of God, humans cannot live. We really cannot live. It really points us to our humble origin, the humility of where we come from. Adam, the man. Even the name in itself. Adam, man. Adama, dirt. God literally formed this man out of dirt. It's a way to continue to remind us how humble we must be in our relation to God, in our relation to how we live. On Wednesday, Ash Wednesday, Ash Wednesday, when we came, and when Dick and Steve and Father Greg imposed those ashes on us, they said, remember, you are dust, and unto dust you shall return. And this should continue to help us to reflect as we continue to practice this holy Lent, Lent is not even the only time for us to reflect on this reality. Because the reality of who we are is really to live into that reality. The reality of who we are is to actually live in that reality. And I think when we really enter into that reality, it will change everything that we do. It will actually change everything, how we approach life how we approach our day-to-day -day life. I think we will actually be more sold out to the things of God. I think it's actually a, a really season, it's a season, it's the time to actually admonish the word we heard on Ash Wednesday. We can return to God with our whole heart by fasting, weeping, mourning, heart-rending, praying, almsgiving, and reading and meditating on God's holy word.
not to practice our righteousness before others, but before God alone. I wonder how this journey in this land will actually impact our life. Maybe we extend our de devotion to God beyond two to four hours on Sundays. Maybe we may consider in entering even into deeper relationship with God and those around us. Maybe we may consider growth and discipleship of ourselves and others. Maybe we will take a look even at our schedule in life and see if we make it all about God or about the things God has blessed us with. Maybe we'll be diligent about sharing our faith even with those around us that may know God or may not know God. It's a season of pardon and absolution. By the way of reflection, self-examination, repentance, through prayer, fasting, meditation on the word of God. In the past few weeks, there's been this news about the virus that's going around, about coronavirus. And I actually want to bring that to mind, that really, it should help us to actually confront us. I think it's the right time for us to actually think about it and really think about our origin state. Really, we are dust, and to dust we will return someday. And it is a time for us to continue to pray. Pray and seek God. Take proper precautions, as the medical authorities may share with us, to, to remember to pray, not only for ourselves, even the people that are working within, within it, and the people that have been affected by this disease. And to actually remember the word from, uh, from the Apostle Paul. Let your reasonableness be known to every man. The word, the Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known unto God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. At this time, for us to know that really we are dust, and we should and it should remind us of our utter dependence on God. We need the breath of God to live. Carl Strobel put it like this in his in his book: "We live on borrowed breath. We are alive in the most profound sense of the world of the word filled with the very breath that spoke creation into being." One of the church fathers said this in the uh, fourth century, St. Athanasius. By nature, of course, man is mortal since he was made from nothing, but he bears also the likeness of him who is. And if he preserves that likeness through constant contemplation, then his nature is deprived of its power and he remains incorrupt. Let us continue to place our total dependence, dependency on the one who is. And in the midst of it, we will face temptations like our ancestors did. Adam and Eve, they faced temptation. As the, history, as the account 
continue in our first lessons today, we see in the beginning chapter of chapter 3, when the serpent was introduced, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast. The serpent came to, 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 to the woman and asked her, did God tell you that you can't eat from the fruit? And the woman responded. She said, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. And really, that is not what God told her. It's a little shifted. When God talked to Adam, when God spoke to Adam, God actually tell him that whenever he eats of it, if he does, the emphatic was that you shall surely die. And for some reason, when she was conversing with the serpent, it seems like she had forgotten what God told her. It seems like the serpent actually know the instruction more than she does. Because the serpent actually responded and said, you will not surely die. And then the serpent went on. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So she actually probably, she probably forgot. Or so, the serpent actually know. She saw that the tree was good for food. Delight to the eyes and make one wise. Our desire to be wise without heeding godly instruction is fatal. And that is the same for us. Whatever that we do, and without admonishing the godly counsel in our life, we could face fatal consequences as, as such. And this was our response. Well, we know how the response went. Adam and Eve, they eventually fell to temptation. They fell into that temptation and they were unashamed. Uh, they were ashamed. <laughs> they, they, they found out they were naked and ashamed and they hid themselves from God. And this brings me to our psalm reading today. The psalm was very penitential and very good. And the background of it is with David. King David and his response to temptation. What was Adam and Eve's response? They fall into their temptation and they sin. And then they heed. King David from 2 Samuel 11 and 12 make the time to read it. He was tempted by a woman, a Sheba. A lot of us know the story. He committed adultery with another man's wife, murdered the woman's wife, uh, husband, and then he probably hid it at first. It seems like this is a natural response. Nobody knows. Let's just move on. And married her. Then the prophet Nathan confronted him. He confronted the king. And then his response came about to be that psalm, Psalm 51. 
Adam and Eve hid. King David eventually turned to God. What do we do when we find ourselves in similar situations? Do we hide? Which is a natural inclination. I know many of us face temptation. At least I do. Do we hide? Or do we turn to God? Do we hide or do we turn to God? And we know that ultimately Christ is available for us. Christ has overcome what nobody else can. Well, we see Adam and Eve here, they sin. King David, he sinned with Christ. The tempter who was from the beginning, who had tempted the husband and the wife, in the garden. Well, came to Jesus to, to try the same thing. The scripture started saying then. It started with the word then, which implies that there's something beforehand. Right before then, Jesus went through his baptism. And with his baptism, God spoke. This is my well-beloved son of whom I am well pleased. The identity of Jesus was solid. The identity of him is that this is my beloved son. Then he was led into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He was led by the spirit to be tempted by the devil. Even when we find ourselves in doing the things of God, in the midst of it, we will find ourselves being tempted in the midst of it. I mean, it happens to the Lord. But his responses, unlike the woman, will respond and actually don't really know what was, it seems like she actually doesn't know instruction of God. Every time that the tempter comes to Jesus and say, if you are the son of God, turn this, bread, uh, turn this stone into bread, the Lord replied with the word of God. It's almost like he's been meditating on it day and night. Maybe, <laughs> maybe. We should actually do the same thing, you know? And no, this is the reason that we have the daily office. This is the reason that we have the Book of Common Prayer. Really, it is filled with the Word of God. It is. To do the daily office is to pray the Scripture and to meditate on it. It's the season to do it. It's the season to accumulate that practice to make it our rhythm. And his last response to the tempter when all the series of temptation goes on, he said, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him alone you shall serve. So temptation are always before us, 
We need to stay vigilant and know the adversary like Jesus knew who the tempter was. He told him, be gone, Satan. He knows that it doesn't just wrestle with flesh and blood, but we wrestle with principalities. We wrestle. This is spiritual battle. This spiritual battle. And Jesus overcame. And we know that now we do not have to do it all alone. We can actually hold on to the cross of Christ. As we are continuing with this holy land and continue to move towards the, the cross, we can't look up to, we can't look to, to, to Christ who has overcome. And the apostle even writes, say, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. We can't trust in Adam in the way we trust in Jesus. Jesus' righteousness redeem us. And now grace abound. And now we know we have eternal life with Jesus, our Lord. And we know we are not just as dust, but a beloved, beloved dust by the one who is. Returning to the dust, yeah, remember you are dust. Unto, unto dust you shall return. The dust is not, not our final destination anymore, but resurrection like Jesus is really our destination and to spend eternity with God. Let us be encouraged through this season of Lent to continue to, ad, to, to, to seek our God, to seek Lord and be, be encouraged 